Welcome back, everybody, to the Deposit That Podcast. Today, I'm sitting here with a good friend of mine. Believe it or not, we met on social media over 10 years ago when she reached out to me. I believe it was on LinkedIn since I was the only real social media for business at the time. But before I introduce her name, you know, in the Major League Baseball, people come out to like songs or anthems when they come up to the plate. So I got to put this song on and then they'll very much so describe who she really is. Right? Is this not your intro oh song? Oh my God, hysterical. <laughs> if you were going to walk up to the plate, right? That's play the baseball, song I want. That is your song. So... Without further ado, we have the hustler of Harlem, Amal. Welcome to the show, Amal. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So 10 years ago, mm-hmm. social media really wasn't powerful for business. Or LinkedIn was still like, what the heck is LinkedIn? Remember, mm-hmm. I called my financial advisor. I'm like, I love LinkedIn. I want to buy their stock. They're like, that sucks. That's stupid. What the hell is LinkedIn? Don't do that. Put your money in the S&P, right? This is 2008, 2009. I'm like, the market just fell off 45%. You tell me about S&P? Like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. What made you go on LinkedIn and what made you reach out to me on LinkedIn? I don't know why I went on LinkedIn, probably because everybody else was on LinkedIn. But I remember doing research for my husband. I had decided to not, I didn't want to work anymore for somebody. I wanted to do my own thing. So we had had just finished renovating our brownstone in in Harlem. Harlem. I was unhappy at my nine to five job. What'd you do? I was a purchasing manager at Eleni's, which is a high-end cupcake cookie place. Oh, cool. Only because I had a passion for food, and that's a whole other story <laughs> we could talk about. Yes, and cupcakes, <laughs> but I do have a culinary degree. <laughs> it works. There's a lot of stuff in the background. So I said, I'm going to focus on helping you grow your business. That's what I said to him. So I went online looking for new banks and whatever, and I found a video of you. I guess you've been doing videos for a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was you doing a flip and a fix and flip. Uh, actually, you the web, yeah. It. So the website I had uh, was fha203kdream.com. That's what it was. That's, That's why it, was. it led me there. Yeah, I spent seven thousand dollars on a bullshit landing page, <laughs> and people were like, "Yeah, you're getting the top technology." And it, honestly, the site sucked. I, yeah. All I remember was yeah. looking at this white guy <laughs> with a black guy in this crazy neighborhood, yeah. with, in some crazy property. And you were owning it. And I said to my husband, you need to meet this guy and work with him. Yeah, That's 20, all I said. 21, 22 I didn't know anything time. about yep, you. Yep. And we reached out to you. And since then, that's it. Yeah, that's- it was awesome. I remember you reached out and I'm like, yeah, send your husband over. Let's yeah. talk. Or like, Have him call me. I'll give him all my business. You know, At the time, I didn't have any relationships in that. But yeah. it's crazy how that relationship grew from like a LinkedIn contact to not only like friendship, but so many deals back and referred back and forth. Absolutely. And- between you and my husband, between you and me. Yeah, so- I mean, I gave him 100% of my 203K work for yes, and we my entire that. career. I mean, listen, he was great. He delivered. He is, and he still does it. 100%. That's his full-time job. He loves it. And he's, if I'm a hustler, he's a bigger hustler. <laughs> so what made you support your husband's business, right? At the time that not only were you a mom, you had your own nine to five and you were still trying to establish your own career. Because as a woman, right, a lot of times I got married very young. So I I was 25. I depended on my husband financially. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough thing for a lady. Is he older than you? He's 11 years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Or 10 years in a month. Let's be real. (laughs) He's December. I'm January. Gotcha. So as a young woman who lived with their family all my life and from a very strict you know, cultural family, you don't leave your house till you get married. So this is all I knew was to depend on my husband. And I hated it. So the only way that I felt like I get my own independence as a married woman who loved her husband, there was Mm -hmm. no problem. I just needed my own independence was to do my own thing, make my own money. But since I didn't know what I really wanted to do, I just told you, I went to culinary school. Like I had, I, I went to NYU, graduated NYU in 2000. Market was 
horrible. I had a job waiting for me. I went away for the summer, came back, the job was gone. They just liquidated the, the business. So I went back to NYU and got a job there because I had a lot of contacts. I worked there as a buyer for many years. I should have stayed 10 years because then my kids would have gone to school for free, but I didn't know that. It was yeah. seven years and I had enough of them. <laughs> and I went to culinary school during that time with my husband's full support, which I appreciate. And in that time, I got pregnant with my second child, working in kitchens with a little baby. He was six weeks and I was in the kitchen and I just couldn't do it. So I went from working in the restaurants to being a personal chef to going back to work at a Lenny's as a purchasing manager, taking my two loves, right? My, not my two loves, my love with my experience, bring it together and, you know, hustled my way into a good job. (laughs) I did really well there. Actually, I really excelled. It was amazing. But working for somebody, helping somebody else make money just wasn't working for me. And I wasn't getting paid. But you do that every day now anyway with real estate. You bring investors deals and you help them make money. I'm changing people's lives in real estate, which is different. So when you work for somebody as a nine to five, you're helping the owner, CEO, whoever it is, make money. You're not changing anyone's life except that person. And they're probably not even changing their lives because they're just, you could go and the next person will do what you do. Irreplaceable. Exactly. But in real estate, I always say, I'm here to change your life. I'm not here just to help you make money because you're not just making money, obviously, you know. It's not instant. Yeah, it's, there's so much more to it. So I decided to help my husband so that I could build our family since I'm not working nine to five, my salary really wasn't doing much, but I was bringing in the insurance or so whatever the case may be. So I, I wanted to give back because that's just, I can't just sit around. I know some women like to do that. I don't. <laughs> You're not a lazy person, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> so I started helping him. And in the midst of that as well, so we have the Brownstone in Harlem. We just finished renovating it. We also owned a co-op in Queens, which is where we lived for the majority of the time while we were renovating the property. I finally decided that I wanted to buy a home in Long Island because my kids were getting to that age where we had to go to school. The natural progression. The and progression from the city to Long Island. Yeah, so right. the progression is from Queens to Long Island, Brooklyn to Staten Island, yep. Manhattan to New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, that's Now everyone's going to Jersey because yeah. it's affordable. <laughs> <laughs> so I told my husband, I want to move to Long Island. He wanted to stay in Harlem. So I met this amazing woman, and I have to give her a shout-out, Arlene Goldstein, at an open house in Long Island. She was selling a house I wanted. I hadn't sold my, my co-op. I had the brownstone. Well, I had no business looking for a house, period. You know, I didn't have a job. And she said to me, well, how are you buying this house? You know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And, I, and then I said, oh, it's fine. I have a property here. She goes, okay, well, are you selling something? You know, she really opened up my eyes on what it takes to buy a house. It's not just because you want a house. You need the money. You need yeah. the funds. And yeah. you just don't need the funds. And she used the line that I use now today is, okay, you got pre-approved for X amount. That's great. But with that monthly payment, can you still afford to take your kids to the movies? Can you go out to dinner? Can you live your life? It's so true. And she really had me stop and think because I was overbuying. I was being... And it's very rare that a broker, a real estate professional... She stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. And she said... That's what's best for you and not for the sale. Exactly. And she said to me, we need to make sure you could buy a property the right way without hurting yourself. Because she, you know, she's smart. She's a beautiful, smart lady. We started working on selling my co-op. That was what we did. We stopped looking. We put the co-op on the market with her, which I had refused to work with the broker. Sure. Like, <laughs> like everyone else in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know better. I actually did put it on sale for sale by owner. I killed my own deal because right. I couldn't, like, the buyer wanted something that I refused, yeah. which now I know today is... <laughs> Don't change the faucet. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. irresponsible. Through my process with her, 
I said, oh, I really love what you do. Can I be your assistant? And she said, no, you can't be my assistant. You're going to get your license, and you're going to be a real estate agent yourself. Wow. So that's what put you on that And that's what path. I did. Interesting. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, from my experience, you know, you deal with a home buyer that knows nothing, and then they close on a property. Nine out of ten times, they're doing the realtor's job. So they come back to me after closing, and they're like, hey, Jeff, I just got my real estate license. I'm like, why? They're like, well, my realtor sucked and made $20,000 commission and did nothing. Like, they didn't show up for the inspection. Yeah. I was contacting the bank. I was contacting the appraiser. I was contacting the attorney. I was negotiating my inspection. And that's what usually propels people into real estate because there's so many bad ones out there that they think it's easy. It doesn't mean they're going to be good at it either. No, not at all. Because it's still so much more. But the bar is so low for most people that they have a bad experience. Well, I had an amazing experience. She's the one who who told me that I should do it. And at the time, I was I was managing the Brownstone in Harlem, which we were renting out, you know, through Airbnb, and I was doing, you know. A lot of things. I was hustling the bill. I really was. I was hustling that building to make as much money as I can. So let's get back. So you started, from what I know, you were the first person that I physically knew that did Airbnb. And I want to say it had to be like between like 2011 and 2013. Yeah, probably right? was. Because it was 2008 is when we finished the renovation. Right. And I started renting a portion of the apartment that we were supposed to live in. Sure. And the other portion of it, my husband set up, I set up for him tables so he could have office and we decided to rent out tables. So we rented it out to other brokers, mortgage people, one mortgage guy, one real estate broker, and maybe an insurance guy. I think it was somebody from Columbia at one point too, right? Yeah, like it, a teacher or something? I yeah. don't remember. <laughs> yeah. All I remember yeah, yeah. was that I said to my husband, we're going to make money off of this building. You're milk it for everything it's worth. Yeah, we bought the building in 2004. What'd you buy it for? Four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> How much was the renovation? A couple hundred thousand, wasn't it? Yeah, probably two to three. Hundred thousand. Two and to three hundred. And what's it worth now? Do you think? Two and a half, two point six million. Not bad. Right? Not bad. Ten yeah. Ti- ten times return on your money. <laughs> yeah, it's doing good for us. We owned it for I want to say four years with no income. Mm-hmm. So from two thousand and four, two thousand eight, we bought it as an SRO with no certificate of non harassment. So to touch on SRO, so that means single room occupancy, right? Yep. So, so that, that means people rent a room, a room out. They share a bathroom and a kitchen. Sometimes, so some like shared them, living. Yeah, shared living with very specific restrictions. And now, certificate of occupancy is what? No, so certificate non harassment is something you need. So, if you want to convert an SRO to a one family, two family, three family, whatever you want to convert it to, mm-hmm. you have to prove to the city that you haven't harassed these tenants out because it's a protected property. It's a protected classification. So Now, can the tenants harass the owner, though? Oh, absolutely. And they do. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. So, they don't want to see people come in with bull, you know, with dogs and scare sure. them out or, you know, turning electricity off, turning the heat off. This is all considered harassment. It's not just taking coming in there with a gun and scaring someone. Right. It's it's just a living being able to live your life there. A lot of SRO buildings are in terrible, terrible condition. Nobody takes care of them. Now can someone from an external view tell if a building's an SRO or one or two or three, four family? Very difficult. I mean, you could a lot of the abandoned buildings, let's call them, are probably an SRO, Mm -hmm. but there's no guarantee. So what would you recommend somebody, let's say somebody wants to buy an abandoned building in Harlem. Obviously, they're going to call you, contact you, and Mm -hmm. you'll give them all the information. But everyone's a do-it-yourself type, right? So before they waste your time and call you on 15 
abandoned buildings in Harlem or Brooklyn or wherever. It's fine. Call me. No, I'm serious. <laughs> how could they, how, if they want to do their own due diligence, yeah. how could they find out the buildings in SRO? You need to go on the Department of Buildings website, okay. the BIS Business Information System or Building Information System, and you type in the address and there's a little section that says SRO restricted. Mm-hmm. It's going to say yes or no. That's the first step. It's also still not guaranteed that it's an SRO, not an SRO, right. because then you need to go to HPD's website, make sure and see what the classification is in HPD's website. Sure. And finally, I would go to Accurus and see what the deed says. If it's, uh, the C- I'm sorry, the CO. Sure. If a building has no CO and it's an SRO, for finance purposes, we love that, right? Right. Because you're going to finance it as best use. Best use. Yeah. If it has a CO and it says SRO, it's more difficult. Yeah, very, I don't have very, to tell you this. Very restrictive. Who am I, t- who am I, yeah. am I teaching yeah. you something? So, uh, <laughs> so Amal was actually the first person that gave me my million-dollar deal, right? And it was 2011. If you remember, we had closed Karen Martinez and her oh, wow. boyfriend, husband, yeah, whatever yeah. it was. They just called me the other day. It's not funny. Yeah, believe it. I think they bought property in Connecticut, whatever. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, like, walk me through that deal, your mindset on that deal, and how you were able to get them to me. Because remember, they, want, they had someone, oh, I was dealing with Chase or Citibank, and you were like, no, 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 we can't do this with them because – we're you buying can't, an SRO. Well, you can't close on a building. You can't get a regular loan on an SRO building. The Correct. bank needs a guarantee that you're converting this building from an SRO to living. A one, two, three, or yeah, four Yeah, because you're not funding. They sure. just don't fund SRO buildings. Right. So the only way is to borrow the renovation costs for the conversion and give them a final CEO at the end. This right. is their guarantee. And we all know how the, this is called a 203K loan. Yep. And they hold the money in escrow. And the inspector goes out, and that's actually what my husband does. He's a mm-hmm. 203K inspector. Make sure the job is done correctly with FAJ guidelines and whatever the work write-up was. So Chase doesn't do that. Chase is going to outsource that anyway. Sure. So, and a lot of these guys who, who do these things, they, they, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Right. Right. So <laughs> you got to talk to somebody who's savvy. Someone like when you were, you were very savvy. And it's not just knowing how to put a deal together. Sure. It's being creative. You right. have to think outside the box. If you don't think outside the box... The deals are not. Well, that's gonna why get- I give you. Yeah, I commend you on too. Like you're an outside the box thinker, and you've always been since day one. Like where there's a will, there's a way. There's a will. Exactly. But you're always like, hey, outside the box. How can we get this done? What can we do? Because there's always this a way. Right. Nothing to me is impossible. Yeah, you, don't, you definitely don't take no for an answer. I know <laughs> for a fact. I always say, if I stop doing something, yeah. then it's finally impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can actually I agree. Just with that. like my kids, when they lose something, yeah. I say it's not lost till mommy can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> and then and it just goes on. And you forget because about it. I find everything. Everyone. <laughs> Everything is lost in the house, always, according to them. And then I find it. But it's the same thing. So people have to be educated. It's just that's what it comes down to with everything, right? Not just real estate. You know, you're ignorant and then you learn and then you're not ignorant anymore. And you move on. You become successful. And that's what I mean, like changing people's lives. So had they not met me, would they have met someone else who would have educated them? Maybe. but Probably not. Deal probably would have died. Probably would have died. I changed their lives. They were able to purchase something they couldn't purchase, right? (laughs) Now, one of our other not so favorite deals or people we've dealt with, right, was a Brooklyn deal that I believe we worked on together. You had originally referred me to a client who referred me to their attorney. If you remember, the guy actually passed away. The guy was a building super on the Upper West Side, passed away. He was buying a property in Harlem. I then started working with that attorney. Yes, I Hika know. Radoncic. Just, I Radoncic. Remember, it was yes. 2010, yes. believe it or not. Yes. That deal was... Nightmare. A nightmare. That's another deal we're talking about right. <laughs> before the Brooklyn Correct, deal. correct. That deal and talking about stealing deals. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier. That was one of them. We'll talk about that later. Happens frequently. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now we have a client that's putting an offer on a two-family. With, mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't a two-family. It was a no-CO. 
building. No CO, but, not, but not an SRO. Not an SRO. Just no CO. Meaning they didn't know if it was a one, two, three, four it family. Anything we told them. And it was, it was in Bedside, Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah. And this is 2011 and 12 at this point. Mm-hmm. End of 2011. I believe it actually closed in 2013 finally. Mm-hmm. But you were representing the buyer, and the listing agent said, there's no way this person can buy a property in New York City with less than 5% down. And our client was buying a two-family for $970,000 mm-hmm. and putting 5% or less down. We were on a three-way. Walk, yeah, walk us on that deal. Walk us through that deal and tell everyone. This is everyone. when I fell in love with Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't mean three-way like that. It was a three-way <laughs> phone call. Three-way right? phone call. Imad, I've, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good catch. Um, the broker was adamant and getting very aggressive, as many brokers do. And he, right? was, he was a Manhattan broker. He was a Manhattan broker. As I am. But, you know, brokers like to flex their muscles a lot, and it's so obnoxious. And it was his listing. And it was his listing. Jeff jumped in there and said, you're telling me that someone who can't afford more than 5% down should not own a property in New York? He goes, you're you're discriminating. If I'm telling you I can close this deal with less than 5%, you should take this deal. There's no reason why we can't sell this property to this person. And then I remember you said, Amal, you have anything else to to say? And... And, oh, my God, I had nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, think, I remember I was sitting in my office behind my desk, actually in White Plains when I took that phone call. I, th- I think it was in, like, June or July, whenever it was. And remember, he, like, broke our balls left and right. Yep. Like, he wouldn't let his seller sign contracts until we delivered him a commitment, which means that the buyer had to pay for the appraisal, submit all of his documents, yeah. take on upfront costs, engage his attorney. I don't blame him. I, I get it. I don't. I, I've seen people do. That. That's not a big deal, right? That's not the issue, though. Yeah, correct. Right. The issue is if he has a commitment. What's the deal? My whole thing is, listen. If somebody has a pre-approval and the bank banker knows what they're doing, it's not just like a fly-by-night mortgage person or mortgage bank exactly. that gives the pre-approval. Whether you're pre-approved for a million dollars or five hundred thousand, you're still pre-approved. So your down payment really is irrelevant. In it's that irrelevant sense. as long as you're approved. You're approved. Yeah, and I tell this to my buyers sometimes too. I say sometimes people want to see that you're putting twenty percent down, and right. we do that. We'll right. put in the contract twenty. But you, as long as you're working with someone who you really trust and you know they're doing the right thing, and sure. this is when I like to do a commitment. You could put down whatever you want. Right, you so could put down one percent. I don't care what you put down. Yeah, put down no money. If you yeah, have to. as yeah. long as they can close. But we can't. There's certain things we can't put in the contract because, if especially if you have many bids on the property and you want the property, you have to be an aggressive buyer. Sure. If you're comfortable putting down twenty percent in the contract, you could do whatever you want at the back end. Get the property as long as you're comfortable. Sure. If you can't do it, then move on. It just it is what it is. But in this case, he was able to do it, but he needed the cash right. to fix. There was renovations he had to do in the building. Sure. I don't know if he did a K on that. I can't remember. He did. He it was did. regular FHA. So that's yeah. what it was. It was right he before wa- they changed the loan He limits. wanted to have cash to fix the property. Sure. So it's not that the money wasn't there, and we don't have to always spend the money we have. Well, see, a lot of people do this. Say, hey, look, I'm going to put 10%, for example, I'm buying a $970,000 property. I'm putting $97,000 down. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. Put 5% down and keep you know, 48500 in your pocket for a rainy day, for reserves, for renovations. Exactly. And so many people put extra money down to change their payment by you know, $100, $100 a month. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? You just lost $48,500. Divide that by 100. You're at like, I don't know, 40 years worth of difference. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. What, do you, what do you think about doing that? No, I, I, I always tell people that. I mean, I had another mortgage guy tell me that he loves it when people put a lot of money down. And he does it because... He gets better rates. I'm sure. (laughs) But he also feels like, what if they lose their job, their payments are low enough that they could still handle it? So my thing is, if you, not to cut him off, and this is why I hate mortgage people, truly hate mortgage people, if someone loses their job, 
whether your payment's a thousand or two thousand or three thousand, you know you can't afford it either way. You're gonna <laughs> exactly. deplete your savings. I would rather have that money in a bank where, hey, if I have forty thousand in the bank and even if my mortgage payment's four thousand dollars per month, I have ten months of mortgage payment saved. While you try to get a new oh, job. Because at the end yeah. of the day, if you can't afford a thousand, you can't afford five hundred and you can't yeah. afford two thousand. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I have a lot of investors even who have the cash. Sure. But they get loans. Yeah. And we'll do a no mortgage contingency on the contract to make everybody happy. Sure. But they're getting the loan. Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't, if it's a no mortgage contingency, they're allowed to get a loan. But if they don't get the loan, obviously, then they got to fall back on their cash. Yeah, the problem is the real estate, you know, was really run by people from the 80s and 90s for a long time. It's changing now. But right now you have smart people that don't know real estate trying to get into real estate. Yeah. And then old school, what I call dinosaurs, right, mm-hmm. that kind of try and set the rules from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. So there's that constant battle back and forth of, hey, I'm smart, I know business, but I don't know real estate, versus I know real estate and I'm not smart, right? Yeah. That kind of butt heads. Yeah. But talk to me about work-life balance. I know you have three kids. Your boys are running around. Your yeah. little girl's three. Yeah. You have a husband who yeah. I'm sure is needy at some oh. times. <laughs> I have four kids. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Imad, she's sorry again. How do you balance that? And so how are you still able to sell $45 million worth of Manhattan real estate, mostly, and balance being a mother, wife, and everything else? First and foremost, I have to say my husband is very supportive. So we're both self-employed. So we bounce off of each other a lot. So if I have to be somewhere, he could be home with the kids. But for me, it's just managing my time. You know, I I think of myself like an architect, let's say. Right. right? So a good architect can take a space and utilize every space beautifully, right? Make every space make sense. So I take my time in the day and I make sure I use every single minute of my day and I utilize it properly. So I wake up early, I have my coffee, I have my shake, you know, get the kids ready, get them to school, run into early appointments, come back in time, back in the day when they were getting off the bus. Now they just ride their bikes home from school. (laughs) So that was my struggle was being home before the bus got there because I had to get them off the bus. Could I have hired someone to do all this? Yes. Did I want to? No. I love seeing my kids, you know, after school's over. I love to feed them. I love to make sure that they're getting with it. Then then I have a new job. Starting 5 o'clock, I got baseball practice. I got basketball practice. I got flag football. Whatever it is they're doing, because my kids do everything. My son is a black belt at, (laughs) I don't know, like he was eight years old when he got it. Wow. And then, and that was because we traveled with him everywhere and got him to do what he had to do. And then from there, he went to baseball and now he's playing basketball. And all we do is travel for sports. So if you ask my husband, we haven't gone on a real vacation <laughs> in a long time. You guys owe it to yourselves. Yeah, but I'll tell you this I closed at least three deals on vacation. Well, the flexibility of yeah. cell phones, emails. I wasn't even right. there. Right. You know, I had someone else show it, negotiated the deal via email, phone, whatever it took. And got it in contract. And so would you say real estate provides you that real full flexibility to be real everything else on top of that? provides me financial freedom. And what else? And just to be with my children, to be present, to be alive with them, you know. It's different. Like my mom. But was, you also work your ass off. I mean, I could tell you that I could text. Oh, yeah, I text but, you twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and, and you reply instantly. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Baby in one hand. No, people you know, are. In the other. People tell me how scary it is. Yeah. How quickly I respond right. because it's not just that. I also do the Airbnb. So I, a man, Airbnb takes a lot of my time too, and I manage a lot of that. And I'm blessed with that because that helps me, also sustain my life. So when you're in real estate and that's all you do, it's very hard. And people will tell you unless you are sure. killing it, right. which you know. 
If you're putting in the time, you're going to get it back. I don't put in the time to do like 24-7 real estate. I put in the time as much as I want. To be efficient. To be efficient and to make as much money as I feel I need. Mm -hmm. You know, could I make more? Yes. But that's, I'm not doing this just to have money in the bank, you know. So far, I, you know, I told you I purchased two properties in Miami, paid that off in cash. I built my home in Long Island. Big renovation, I remember. Huge renovation, yeah. beautiful home, thank you. You were God. super stressed out when it was <laughs> yes. going on. You're like, it's six more months. <laughs> oh my God. We just <laughs> finished putting in, you know, this really beautiful pool in the backyard for the and for yep. the kids and, you know, just being able to travel for sports, which is very, you know, pricey. I can't do real estate all the time. But I am doing real estate all the time right. because I have the rentals, the Airbnbs, which are mine. And I manage some of my clients. And what my, my goal is to manage these Airbnbs and then give them back to them so they could do it on their own, so they can have financial freedom. So you actually have almost like a mentorship program where someone hires it you to do Airbnb. It just happened. It wasn't meant Organically. to be. Organically. Yeah. It's, it's not supposed yeah. to be a mentorship program, yeah. but I look at yeah. you as a mentor yeah, in that I don't, space. I, you know, I've had people come to me and say, let's, you know, let's create this website. Let's, I go, listen, Airbnb yeah. has Keep it. it HomeAway has it. Uh, it's not what I'm trying. I'm not trying to recreate. I just want to help people make some money because a lot of times people buy these properties and they they are not they actually cannot afford it if they didn't do the Airbnb. Sure. So they live in the upstairs triplex, which is really the goal. Everyone wants this brownstone, nice, beautiful two family. You live in a triplex and you rent at the garden apartment. Sure. You can rent at the garden apartment for twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a month, just a regular renter. Yep. Or you can make six thousand dollars so a you month. Could du- you actually double with your with Airbnb, and it's really helping people with their mortgages. Sure. I actually saved one guy from a foreclosure by just setting him up. With Airbnb. It's enormous. Absolutely enormous. Yeah, and it, you know, it helped him. And I actually made no money off of him. I just did it for him to get him out of that mess. Right. I mean, that's the type of person you are, though. And I, we talked earlier about karma coming back around. Like, you do things like I did, and that's probably why we got along. Like, I did so many pro bono things and favors for people. And if it doesn't come back from them, it comes back one from way or someone another. Else, Universe 100%. puts it back in your... You know, going back to that deal, the, the first deal we met, right? Yeah. You said yeah. with that buyer... Who passed away, which I found out many years later. Yeah, he died of cancer. Yeah, I was really upset about that. But yep. anyway, so that deal, I bumped heads with another broker who is, I don't know how she's a broker, just really nasty. So we had the deal for him, this great buyer. I remember. Yep. She came in and killed the deal by speaking to the seller yep. and cutting me out some way, somehow, which is really not something you can do, but this right. was an off-market deal and there was a loophole she was able to get in. It was also very early on for me. So you the gangster in me yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, there yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because today... Yeah. <laughs> Hustler, but pre-gangster. <laughs> yeah, pre-gangster. Yeah. So she killed that deal for me. But the people that I met through that deal... Insane. You kidding yeah. me? You know how many? You know how much money I've made oh, and how many deals it. I've sold through yeah. that through that one. It hurt me so bad. I was so emotionally upset over it. It was like when yeah, I and learned, it wasn't even the sixty eighty thousand dollars commission. Yeah, and like, that actually wasn't even that much because I had worked at a crazy right, deal with right, the guy. Right. It was like one percent or whatever. Yeah, it was nothing. Yeah. Not I don't want to say it was nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was money, of course, but it wasn't what I'm making today. But that wasn't the point. It was you know I was it was my first real yeah, lost the goal. my first real Harlem deal. Yep. Yeah, and yep. it was terrible, but. Where is she now? She's at, she burned her bridges so bad. She's in the sore. She, I don't know. She probably went back to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> That's where everyone goes when they fail. <laughs> but my point is, you can't burn your bridges, right? right? And sometimes you do things not for the money. You do it for the karma. Because God blessed me. After that, I got... It, I just, it was experience. Sometimes it was a great it, experience for me. So I never forgot it. Yep. 
And after that, no one's ever burned me again. Because <laughs> you don't allow them to. They exactly. try. Yeah. But I just kept building myself. I wasn't going to cry about it. And, you know, I had You're to definitely just, not a crier. No, I yeah. had to keep moving. <laughs> so what advice do you have for, let's say, an 18-year-old female? So I look at you, right? I've always admired you and respected you. I Thank think you. that's something that um, more men should do is admire and respect women. But I also think more women need to be that role model or demand that respect or yeah, demand absolutely. that admiration. So let's say you have an 18-year-old female listening to this, either just graduated high school or is about to go into their senior year. What would you recommend from them in regards to relationships, in regards to career, in regards to work-life balance? Those three things. 18-year-old Number female. one, do what you love, right? Always do what you love and do the right thing. Respect yourself. If you don't respect yourself, no one's going to respect you. Right. And I think that's what that's when you say, like, I demand respect. It's because that's how I was raised. Like, I again, I came from a very strict family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't allow me to be dis- disrespectful of myself. Right. Right? So luckily for that, I took that with me into my adulthood. You respect yourself. You do the right thing always. And always, I always, even when I was in college, my friends would do certain things that I refused to do. And they're like, oh, you're such a prude. I go, mm-hmm. because one day when my kids asked me, I could tell them I never did X, right. Y, Z, whatever right. the case, whatever right. it was. Three-way phone calls only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I always had that mentality of like my future. So always think about your future. You know, today these kids are so young and I have a 14-year-old and he acts like he's 18. He thinks he's older and everyone's on the phone you know, texting and I don't know what they're saying to each other, but I read my sons. I do. Everyone listen up. If you're his friend, I listen, I read his, (laughs) I read his sex. (laughs) I'm not invasive though. I would never, I do not, this is nothing I learned as a mother. Do not judge other children because they're all just going through a phase, right? However, you always. Judge the parents. Yeah. I judge judge the parents. Exactly. I feel bad for a lot of these kids because some of them just don't have the right guidance. At all. So I I always try to tell my son, like, you got to talk to me. I'm your first line of defense don't feel afraid right. come to me i will I'm in it with you i'm in it if but if you lie to me i can't help you right. so if you just got to respect yourself and, and think of your future because any mistake you make today it does affect them and they don't get that so i always i that's what i always thought about it ever since i was young you know i always thought about like how it's going to affect my future i always wanted better for myself um I didn't grow up in the most, you know, glamorous lifestyle. You're from Brooklyn originally. I'm from Brooklyn. That doesn't mean Brooklyn people are not glamorous. (laughs) I just happened to not grow up that way. I had amazing people around me. A lot of parents of my friends who I actually, I want to say a lot of them rubbed off on me. And I take a lot of what they've done to help me. My parents were great, but they were immigrants. So English was their second language. They know what they know. Yeah. And they, you know, they weren't really involved like I am today with my kids with the sports and activities and the extracurricular activities. So it was more tough love. back then. Yeah. And it was just like study, study, study and eat and go to sleep. And that's it. These are the most important things. They don't live life. You have a home. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't, they weren't helping me developing my relationships and my friendships but we do that today with our children and right. you will learn yeah, you this as your, as your son gets older yeah. all of a sudden you're involved in your son's relationship well, it's so funny like i come home right and then like obviously my phone still rings non-stop most of it these days is like what are you doing what are you doing i'm like stop people are like yeah. how are you making money i'm like don't worry about me you know worry about yourself <laughs> exactly. like stop being those you know curiosity killed the cat exactly. and i'll be sitting there at seven o'clock at night like replying to a message and my son's literally he's just started he takes, took like four steps last Aww. night so he took Two and a half steps to me and comes and like 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 sits on me like that like pay attention to pay me attention and meanwhile to I'm sitting on the phone like replying to someone I probably don't even like yeah exactly so it's so interesting how like you have to fully be connected to your 
environment and surroundings Absolutely. of people that you care about. Because one day and he's this, not going to want your attention correct. anymore. And he's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say, he's trying to say it. Yeah, yeah. But like disconnect from the external world and like focus on really what's important yeah. to you. And honestly, like I'm always super focused, super hyper focused, I call it. And I always tell my son because he, he has a dream of being a basketball player and, you know, God he's bless your him. your older son? My older son. <laughs> um, I always tell him if that's what you want, we're going to work as hard as we can for you, and but you have to be focused. If you're not focused, I'm done. Right. I'm out. Because right. I'm only going to give you what you give me, which sure. is everything you do in life, right? So it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, like, every time I have a great year, it's because I worked my ass off right. extra that year. Right. I have a light year. It's because I didn't. It yeah. is what it is. <laughs> the results definitely come from the work uh, put in. It, there's no way around it. No way. You hustle till you can't hustle no more. So what about relationships for an 18-year-old female right now? You mean with her girlfriends or her boyfriend? Like both. sexual or? Both, both, yeah. I mean, like, should a girl be clinging to a guy? Absolutely or, not. Or should a girl be around the wrong circle? Or, like, if a girl wants to be? Girl, guy, doesn't matter. As a mother, I have to look at it. From both? From all of them. The wrong, one bad apple, and we all know this, right, will ruin the whole pack. So you can't get away from bad apples. Sure. That, and I'm learning so much with my child right I'm now, sure. right? Yeah. So his, some of his friends are doing things. And okay, I'm not going to tell you not to be friends with these people, but you got to know what's right and what's wrong sure. and know how to react to things that you're not comfortable with. I never smoked. I never drank, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's the kind of lifestyle I live. Not everybody did. Sure. So I tell my son, but did I hang out with people? I'm from Brooklyn. Of Everybody course. smoked yeah. weed around yeah. me. Like, yeah. <laughs> and drank 40s. Yeah, so <laughs> you hang out in the street on Fifth Avenue. That's what they do. But I never did. So you have to learn how to do that balance. Because once you get sucked into that lifestyle, it's very hard to get out of it. Sure. So if you're 18 and you want a future, you should be doing internships. What do you love? I right. always tell people, what do you love to do? Be in that world. I love cooking. I do. Still and to this day? To this day. That's why your husband's smiling all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I wish someone told me when I was 16 years old to go work in a kitchen. Wow. Because I would have done that. I, You know, I used to, I hustled when I was young. When I was in high school, I was working like three jobs, key food and one that like for a few hours, I crossed the street and go to the local pharmacy. And then down the block, I was working at Kids Are, right. Kids Are Us or whatever it was. It was like a, a kitty place for birthdays. And I love to work. But I could have been in a restaurant. I wish I had done that. Hmm. That's why I, I stopped working in the in the culinary world because I started too old, right? So people who start old young old by twenty five <laughs> in the in the yeah. kitchen world, That's yes, old. yeah. I, I want to be an executive chef. That's who I am. I want to be on top. Wow. I'm not nobody's. You gonna get there one day? I'm nobody's bitch. Are you you know? go back. Yeah. You know. So yeah. the only way now at this age is if I started my own company, right? Like a catering company, which is something I might still do, but. I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, if you have a passion, like my child has a passion in catering sports. Catering for real estate brokers and open houses. Yeah. I, I, I used to do cater for you my Airbnb guests. There you go. Because yeah. one of the apartments is an open layout. And I did. I had a few little baby showers, bridal Perfect. showers. It was great. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So uh, you have to be 100% committed. You can't, you can't half-ass right. it. So do what you love. And I always, like people say to me, oh, my God, I, you make so much money. Can I do real estate with you? I go, no, you yeah, can't. Right. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> you still have it. You don't have it. But what are you doing right now? You like it, right? I know you like what you do. You talk about it all the time. Climb that ladder. Figure it out. Figure it out. Go. How can you go outside of the box in that world that you're in to make more money? Sure. Like real estate is not just selling properties. There's other so things. There's so much, more. so much more. So one of my girlfriends who I adore, and she's socially amazing, but she can never do real estate. I tell her. 
go find me properties. I'll pay you. You could do Post that. Host a jewelry party. Yeah, because <laughs> you know so many people. All right, network. You'll get paid for that. There's a referral base sure. we could do. It's sure. it's legal. Fee share yeah, absolutely. That's in my company. We have it. Right. So you don't have to do what the other person is doing. Everyone wants to be you, Jeff. Right? Always. I'm sure everyone's telling, "What are you doing, yeah, Jeff?" Because yeah. they're lost in their how own do, life. They, I'm lost in my own yeah, life too. They want to you know? get they into your pocket, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's not about that. You found your way. Everyone has to find their way, and everyone's going to make mistakes. So if you're 18 years old, you're going to make a mistake. That's okay. You get up, you brush yourself off, and you keep going. It's the only way. You let it let you take you down. You're never getting up again, and it's hard. Now, what about let's talk 30 year old? Okay. You better have your shit together. No, let's say they don't. Let's say they don't have their shit together, right? Let's say their 30s came out of a bad relationship. They were engaged. Engagement got broken off. Husband, fiance, boyfriend cheated on her. And now, like, you have a new life, right? Okay. What path do you go down? And how do you get yourself back together? Because as we know, 30s are kind of like that. 30 is a tough age because I, I'm my, and I'm tough love, as you could see. Like, I just don't believe in the bullshit. Like, you got to get it together, right? So take a minute. Right. Let's pause. I always tell people, pause. Let's think about what you just went through and let's think about how we could change it. And you know what? If it takes you five years, that's okay. Who cares? Who cares? But get yourself on a path. Get yourself on a plan and stick to it and pull the people in that are going to help you. Good people. And don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You're 30 years old. At 30, I had two kids already. Right. And I still wasn't happy in my workforce. I remember I was 30 working at a Lenny's and I didn't love it. I wasn't making money. And I actually did love my job. I'm not going to lie. I just didn't love the environment and I couldn't grow anymore. It was, you know, it was, it wasn't a corporation. It was just a woman who owned it, who was, who was a great lady, but I wanted to be her. Like I just couldn't be where I was. I needed to be the owner. Like I had ideas and she always said to me, Amal, you have such an owner's mentality. She would keep me making me managers of different departments to the point where I was like, (laughs) I'm I'm done. done. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I can't do it anymore. It's insane. But you just have to stick to a plan. That's it. Now, you're kind of like the exception to the rule where most people start Manhattan real estate or they start in real estate because they want to be on a million dollar listing or be like the big time Manhattan NYC broker, right? I've met thousands of people from the real estate school that got their license. They're like, yeah, this is going to be easy. I'm going to sell five million my first year. And one or two out of thousands have actually succeeded in selling and making $100,000 in Manhattan real estate in one year. You yeah. know, and you don't need to do that many deals to make that kind of money yeah. here. Yeah. You took on Manhattan as your start. You went right to Harlem and said, hey, I'm here. I'm brokering deals. I'm selling in Manhattan. What made you go to Manhattan first, obviously, other than you own a property in Harlem? And what allowed you to excel early on where people are still doing this five, six, seven, eight years and can't figure out how to do more than one deal a year? In in New York City. So the first thing you learn in real estate is your influence, your sphere of influence, right? So that was my sphere of influence. Those are the people that I knew. You know, I had many contacts. My husband had many contacts. Obviously, he had been doing. So he was a big catalyst. Yeah, he was doing many many Ks before the before the prices went up, and before the limits went down, basically. Sure. And that's sure. kind of what ruined the Ks in Harlem. Big you could time. you could buy a building. They raised them a little bit now, but not. But not still as not much. enough. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a million dollars to put down. Correct. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, which some people do because they have to because, because SROs are being sold yeah. now for over a million dollars, sure. almost two million. So if you want to get a um, a loan and you have a million dollars you could do a k but that's another that's another thing but yeah so it was really just my contacts and i i'm a researcher so i'll attack 
I'll find a property. You definitely attack. <laughs> definitely. If I see a boarded up building, yeah. I attack and I find out what the deal is with that building. And I probably sold the most difficult buildings in Harlem. People that they couldn't sell that. Definitely. I agree. But that's what I like. For top dollar too. Yeah. I can't do easy. I, every deal, I, I can't like even. Like a challenge. Yeah. I, I don't think any of my deals were ever easy. You know, some of them took me a year to close. You know, because we had to go find somebody who was dead that <laughs> supposedly owned half of the deed in North Carolina. Yeah, I remember. And we had to go get someone to, like, I mean, nothing was ever easy. I had one church, it was owned by a church, they were selling it, and we needed the attorney general's signature, right? They have to sign off yeah. on it. And it was like a holiday weekend coming up. If we didn't get it signed that weekend, the deal was dead because the, the sellers, I think, were just at their wits end or the buyer. I can't sure. remember which side was going to walk away and they were going to walk away and the whole deal would be dead. So what did I do? I said, all right, give me the paperwork. I drove to the attorney general's office before yeah, she left on vacation. She was yeah. going on vacation. I had her sign the paperwork. I waited for her and she gave it back to me and I left. And she said, I'd never seen anyone do that before. Yeah. And that's so you do whatever it takes. And that's I do whatever it takes. Exactly. You have to. It's just once you start getting a referral base in a, a certain area, it just keeps going. But that doesn't stop me. I mean, I don't wait for referrals. I, like I said, I research properties and I see how can I benefit and how can they benefit. Obviously, we all want to make money. So if it's a property that's been sitting around, what gets me the most upset is seeing these properties just rot away. And the owners are alive. They just don't care. They just don't care. So I tell them, I can make you a millionaire right now. What is the problem? Let's get this done. So then we get done. What are most people's hold back on selling the property and becoming an instant millionaire, if you will? They don't, well, okay, it depends. If they live in the property, it's usually they don't know where to go. Gotcha. That's the biggest one. So relocating. Yeah. They they don't know what to do. They're used to something. They don't know change. Do, I always say, well, do you have family? Where is your family living? Texas, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. Where Where are they? And maybe that's where you want to move. Or do you want to downsize? Do you want to live in a luxury building? We'll get you a beautiful co-op or condo, whatever neighborhood you want. And you don't have to do anything. You're just living. So, Do you find like, that they're emotionally attached to the property? Uh, in Harlem specifically. Some of them are. Yeah. yeah, some of them are emotionally. And some of them could really just give two shits. They Serious. just don't know where to go. They re- Really, the biggest part, I had one deal that almost fell apart because he just didn't know where to move to. Like the, We had signed contracts, we had to close, and he kept asking for more time. And I'm like, what do you need time yeah, for? I, what, what's going yeah. on here? I don't know where to go. Are you looking for a house? Like, what, Are you looking for a place to move? Are you renting? What do you do? Like, You, you don't even have a plan. And right. every time I ask you, most of the time, I become very friendly with my clients. We become best friends until today we stay in touch. Some of them resent... With the exception of a few that we know. With, what's I'm saying, and some of them <laughs> yeah. resent me. Right. They do. I think they would resent any broker because they feel like we ripped them out of their home. And this is what they wanted to do. I'm not forcing anyone. Sure. But at a certain point, they feel like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Where am I going? And then they get upset Anxiety, with the person. Anxiety, fear comes yeah. in. They got to blame somebody. They got to blame somebody, and they blame me. So I, I take it. I don't take offense. It's not personal. It's not personal at all. And I just keep trying to help them. And I try to always remind them of their dream. Like, why did we do this? Why did we start this process? There was a reason. So let's go back to that reason. Because I never want anyone to feel uncomfortable when they sign those papers. I texted you the other day. I have a friend who's getting divorced. She's doing a refi through a friend. She was feeling uncomfortable. So I got a little... Hustler mode for her and a little gang- mode, I got a little gangster yeah, for her. Yeah. And I started texting you and calling people and trying to figure out you I'm know, finding another song for you. Go ahead. I'm how, how I can it. how we can help her. And 
I spoke to the person who was originating her loan and I said, listen, I know you're her friend because I actually ended up knowing this person too. And I said, and I know you. I said, this is not about me accusing you of doing anything wrong. This is about her being comfortable when she signs that paperwork. So she doesn't get upset with you, right. doesn't resent you, doesn't regret what she did. That's it. If you make me comfortable, I can make her comfortable and this will all be fine. Here's your song, man. Fabulous. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yo, I don't care what y'all do, okay, yeah, that's how y'all right do it, uh-huh, what y'all doing, yeah, keep it gangsta, called keeping it gangsta, <laughs> keeping fabulous. it gangsta, yeah, there you go, that Brooklyn deal, it's funny, I had broke my thumb during that time, I remember I had a cast on, so I was talking to some, I was, we were still looking, we hadn't, put a offer on Macon yeah. yeah so I was talking to another broker and I'm talking like this and you can't see it I'm on you know we're talking <laughs> but my because my hand was stiff and he's like yo you're so gangster right now I'm scared <laughs> I'm like, it's just like can't yeah, yeah that's all I could do <laughs> that broker was like whoa so nervous funny. but you go back to like making people feel comfortable right so obviously you know our goal is to be like educational and it's all education people. but at what point right if you don't know someone, you're obviously not going to feel comfortable with them. So like when you text me like, Hey, check this out. And obviously listen, I pro truthfully, I review more documents for friends and family and referrals. Like, then I do actually make money, believe it or not. Yeah. It's probably 70% pro bono at this point. I believe you. And I, because I've chosen to be that way, right? Yeah. 30% earned income right now. Hey, kid text me today. Hey, I could buy this portfolio for $700,000 seller financing. I'm going to put $35,000 down somewhere way upstate New York, right? Okay. Nowhere close to here. And I, and I gave him advice. I could literally charge two seventy-five plus per hour for it, right? But I'm like, this kid needs guidance. He's a young kid. Like, I'm going to give him advice. I'm going to listen. If you could buy a portfolio anywhere and come out of pocket 5% and you could figure out a way to make money, whether it's a penny or two pennies or $10,000 a year, do it. Because Otherwise, you'll put 20% down. You'd never have the opportunity to buy that portfolio. So even if that stays stagnant, you just bought a portfolio of properties for 35000 right? At what point do you take shopping out of the equation with somebody? Like, obviously, your friend can go and find another mortgage person. I could tell yeah. her, hey, tell them to waive this fee because every bank that charges an origination fee is bullshit. That's mm-hmm. the way that they make their payroll, right? So mm-hmm. just to understand, when you're looking at your loan estimate, you see origination charges. Origination is bank's additional profit. They're making the money in the rate as well. Yeah. They're just charging you excess money. So in the last year, last two years of my career in the mortgage business, right, before I retired out of the residential mortgage business, I charged zero origination fees because I knew that the bank was just taking that as extra money. That's yeah. a fact. It is what it is. Now listen, banks' costs are going up with compliance and regulatory and loan buybacks, but they're still making money on the rate, right? Yeah. Like you don't have to charge an extra $1,200. That's not going to move the needle. Hers is 1700 but anyway. Right. Yeah. So at what point do you take shopping out of the equation when you're shopping for whether or it's a real estate broker to sell your property with or a mortgage person to do your loan? Meaning In and general. just go with your friend? Yeah, like, you know, you told your friend that advice. Yeah. At what point does she say, okay, we well, you know they're not going to waive the fee. I'm just going to close with them or I'm going to switch. And that's what she decided to do. Stay and close. Yeah. Did they refund the fee? I don't know yet. We're Wednesday, we'll get the final document. So gotcha. her friend keeps telling her, when you take the final documents, the numbers will be there. So I'm going to review the final documents for her. But I did tell her personally, you know, you need, she's a single mom. She, $1,700 is a big, yeah, for anybody. it is. I said, they really should be waiving that fee for you. But we'll see what happens. I mean, for her and for many, it's just the comfort of just getting it done. And even me, I remember when I was buying things and I'm doing loans and you get so overwhelmed. 
The mortgage process is the most obnoxious process there is. It's worse than a colonoscopy. Oh my God. It's so, it's just too much. So you get to the point where you're like, whatever. How much did you say? Let's just close this. Let's just get it done. I always tell people. Well, you know, mortgage people, not to cut you off, are taught to confuse us. 100%. (laughs) 100%. I'm, I'm in the business. I'm still confused. No, serious. It is the most confusing. Make it so painful. Just people just sign the documents and, and just, get it over with. Well, that's what she did. And then I just happened to see her on the 4th of July. We were at a barbecue together and she started asking me questions. And my husband was next to me. We both looked at each other like, mm, this doesn't look sound yeah, right yeah, to yeah. me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm helping her and looking into it. And hopefully at the end of the day, me butting in helped her some way. Some way. One way or She another. already reduced the interest rate for her. Oh, cool. That was the first yeah, thing the rates she did. Come down. Yeah. yeah. So we're hoping to see more reduction and, and go from there. But it's just, it's a tough thing. It's, people have to be comfortable. You could be smart, smart, smart. It still doesn't matter. At you all. have to be comfortable. Yep. You know, if you're not comfortable, you're never going to make the right decision. You're just going to do it out of anxiety, out of pressure. You know, you can keep shopping, but as soon or later, you got to stop. <laughs> you got you to do what you got to do. That's it. And when you work with buyers, they love to look at properties. They love to look and look and look. I'm like... You can't keep looking because the house that you love right now, but you want to keep looking, tomorrow it's not going to be here. Interesting. And that's what happens. So we close up every show with one piece of advice and we say like deposit that, right? So we want one person (laughs) to take away one main thing from you with all your knowledge and experience and advice you've given to take it to their memory bank and deposit that. What is that one thing? I mean, this is so cliche, but don't give up. I like it. It's easy. Just keep it simple. You know? Yeah, really. Keep it gangster, just don't keep get, it simple. It's just don't give up, whatever it is. You know, whatever struggle it is, there's a way out of it. And do not give up until you can't do it anymore, until someone really says no to you. Because awesome. no is not no. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you you so did much great for, for your first me. interview. Thank you. That was fun. And uh, <laughs> you're definitely going to make Awesome August that much more powerful oh, for both you. men and women. Don't thank just think you. you're here for the women. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. 